Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero. Sports entertainment like no other. It's going to be sick. Brought to you by Essentia, the world's only natural memory foam mattress. Beyond organic sleep. Marinero, the sick podcast. And with the Canadians battling the Leafs in the playoffs, not really battling, Toronto's making it look easy. They're up three games to one after four. Where do I do? I go straight to Toronto and I bring in former Toronto Maple Leaf himself and current co-host on TSN 1050 in Toronto, Carlo Kuliakovo. How you doing, bud? I'm doing way better than you today, Tony. You're right about that. <laughs> hey, let me ask you, once a Leaf, always a Leaf? Yes, for sure. I mean, it all depends on, the, for me, the amount of time that you get to spend with the organization and the fact that Toronto was uh, the team that baptized me into the NHL, uh, spending almost five years there um, and now allowing me to set myself up post-career here in Toronto, being part of the Maple Leafs alumni. Once a Leaf, always a Leaf for me. All right. Did you think it was going to be this easy? Because I'm watching this series and I have, I, for me, it looks like Toronto's playing with Montreal. And I know they lost the first game. I was talking to a buddy of mine last night who said to me, he says, you know what? I'm not so sure Montreal won last game. He says, I have more of a feeling that Toronto just lost it because they were shocked with their captain going down. But once they were able to reset for the next game, Carlo, it looks like the Canadians don't even belong on the same sheet of ice as Toronto. Toronto's that much better. Did you think that going in? Tony, I, I obviously believe that Toronto was the better team and was probably going to come out the victors in this series, but I thought it was going to be a lot closer than what we've seen after four games. Uh, I think I agree with you in game one. Um, there was a lot of emotions that went through that game. And even though the, 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 the Montreal Canadiens did get the better of the bounces in that game, you know, uh, Toronto wasted a, or exerted a lot of energy. And I think the best thing that could have happened to, to Toronto after that game was a day off to regroup. Because if you think the way these last two games have, have transpired when on a back-to-back night, you think about, you know, whether or not the team was, would have been able to respond in the way that they played in game four, which I thought was the most dominant uh, effort by a Maple Leafs team who was missing two of their top six forwards, surprisingly in Tavares and Felino. But I'm not surprised with this group with what you're seeing with the Toronto Maple Leafs because this team all season has shown that they've, they are a different team. They are comfortable in playing in close games. They are comfortable playing a style of game that can be a little bit more physical, yeah. a little bit more rough and tough. But I'm also uh, impressed with the way they have other guys stepping up. I mean, you, you and I both know at this time of the year, yeah. your stars are going to get you to this point. But come playoff time, it's always your bottom six guys that find a way to be a difference for you. And I think right now Toronto's getting way more out of their bottom six than Montreal can even imagine. I mean, you think about the lack of scoring production that they're getting from their their whole forward group. Yeah. And I think we're, we're Montreal messed up. And I think I talked to you a little bit about this early on before the season started. I didn't like the decision Dominic Ducharme made about sitting their three young guys come playoff time, Caulfield, Kakanyemi, and Romanov. If you look at the last three weeks of the season when they had to yeah. play without Weber, without Gallagher, without Tatar, it was the spark of those young players. Mano was hurt. 
Dano was hurt. It was the spark that those young players gave this group. Drouin was out. Drouin was out to help them clinch a playoff spot. And when you yeah. immediately change the, the, the feeling of this group come game one of the playoffs, you lose the room. And I think Montreal just hasn't been able to respond from it. I'm Marinero. He's Kuli Yakovo. It's the sick podcast. The show is brought to you by Essentia, the world's only natural memory foam mattress. Go to myessentia.com slash sick pod and see why Essentia is the mattress of choice for many athletes, including over 25% of professional hockey players. Use code sick pod for a free pillow with your purchase of Essentia beyond organic sleep. All right. Okay. Speaking of sleep. Yeah. uh, We, (laughs) I have to get you one. Um, Speaking of sleep. It seems like the Canadians, for whatever reason, are just asleep in this series. I haven't seen, and for me, Carlo, that's that's the thing that bothers me the most. Losing is one thing. At the end of the day, one team will win and one team will lose. But the fact that we're seeing so very little emotion from the Canadians, I mean, in Game 3, Shea Weber wiped Austin Matthews' face for about 15 seconds, and it ended there. You're not seeing a big hit. You're not seeing anything to change the momentum. You're not seeing anyone go crazy. Uh, it's just, it's, it almost seems like they're a team that doesn't believe. So they're just playing to almost get it over with. And that, for me, is the most disappointing. I think it has to be disappointing, Tony, especially with the effort that you saw them play with in game one where they established a physical game and they made it known that this was going to be a tough and physical series for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And you just didn't see that same response in game two, game three, or even game four. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason for that is because when you struggle to score goals, you start to lose your focus in the game because now in playoff time, if you're not scoring more than one, two goals a game, there's a good chance you're not going to win games. And we've seen the struggles that Montreal has had in this series scoring goals. They just, they haven't showed it, you know, one goal in game two, one goal in game three, zero goals in game four. And I think when you have those struggles immediately, you start to lose focus on the other things that made you or that helped you win game one. Cause now you're feeling the pressure of, you know, the, especially if you're a top guy, you're not producing, you're not helping the team win. And I just think right now, I mean, you talked about all the question marks going into the series. Could Kerry Price be Kerry Price? Well, I think you can agree. Kerry Price has been Kerry Price. Most yeah. of He's allowed them a chance to stay in the games and allowed them a chance to win games. But ultimately, they're just not getting it done offensively with any of their top guys. I don't know how healthy some of the guys on their defense are, but clearly that's no excuse at this time of the season. Um, but if Montreal has any hope of coming back into this series, they have to be emotionally invested into this. And quite frankly, after four games, I just don't see it in them. All right. A shout out to excellent photos centrally located close to downtown shopping and universities ships to all of Canada, professional staff at the store and online to help you choose the gear you really need. If the Canadians are going to come back, you know, this Toronto team paint a picture as to how the Canadians can beat this Toronto team. Is it impossible for you? Or can you actually see them coming back from down 3-1? Well, you said paint a picture. Maybe this is the picture they need to start painting, where they start getting physical with guys up against the glass. Um, I honestly don't see it, Tony. Um, I know the motivation is there for Montreal. Uh, game six, there's going to be fans in the building and the players want to get there just so that they can feel that feeling. But I mean, you talk about what we've seen in these last two games. Uh, they just don't seem the, the energy doesn't seem there. The emotion doesn't seem there. 
I think the, the style of play doesn't seem there because as much as it looks like they're creating, you know, some uh, dysfunction in, in the Toronto's D zone, they're not yeah. really creating much towards the net. They're not making life difficult on Jack Campbell, who is a guy who's had a great year and a guy who's yeah. playing in his first playoff. So, um, you know, maybe they could sneak in another game, but to win three out of the next four against the Maple Leafs team that has completely dominated them all year, I just can't see it happening. If you go to sportbuffshop.com for all of your officially licensed sports apparel and more, use code SICK15 for 15% off on all of their items, and that might include a Toronto Maple Leaf footy. All right, I'll talk to you about Campbell in a second. You talked about playing the young guys. Kotkaniemi got in in Game 2, Game 3, and Game 4. Caulfield came in Game 3 and Game 4. Romanov has yet to play a game. It's funny because they went to Russia last year to convince him to come over, to burn a year of his entry level, we were told that he could play in the National Hockey League. At that point, they thought he was that good. He would have played had he been eligible, but he wasn't. So he watched to learn. One year later, he plays the entire regular season, and now he's still watching to learn. I mean, I don't get it. And if anything, even if you don't trust the guy, shouldn't he have been playing game four when you're playing three games and four nights, and clearly you need some energy in your lineup, Carlo? I mean, just just look at the the injection of energy a guy like Cole Caulfield injected into this team when he made his debut and started playing games in the regular season. I mean, I love Romanov as a player. I mean, this is a guy that can create really, offense. Eh? He can skate. He plays a physical game. He plays, you know, I, I, he plays with jam. And ultimately, you know, you look at their bottom pairing. Um, I think Romanov can bring more than what Kulak and what Merrill are bringing. Yes, they play a steady game, but this is a Montreal Canadiens team that has is having a hard time scoring goals. And if if you want to, you know, make it a close series against the the Toronto Maple Leafs, you've got to, you know, you got to infiltrate or at least create a physical game. That's something Romanov brings. Now I get it. He's, you know, maybe game one. I I can understand it because. You know, you're trying to focus on more of a slowing the game down and trying to eliminate the mistakes that a young player could make. But all you got to do is look at what the Maple Leafs did with Rasmus Sandin. Yeah. I mean, this this is the same situation. A guy who didn't even play most of the regular season, but they put him into the lineup because it, it represented, or at least it gave the Maple Leafs, the best opportunity to put the best six players that were playing the best hockey at this time of year. And look at the decision they made in game four. Okay, he's a young guy. Um, don't want to put him in a back-to-back situation. We'll put in Travis Dermott. Look at the spark Travis Dermott created. A guy with fresh legs, fresh energy, fresh motivation came in and played a solid game. I mean, if if you're talking about building this team and trying to have success right now, Romanov has to be part of the solution here. And I just don't understand yeah. why he's not in there. I mean, you've got a guy who's probably, you know, chomping at the bit right now to get you're in right. there. And you, the team that's scoring one goal a game, you think you can think that Romanov can add a little bit more to that based on you know his offensive capabilities. So I don't understand it. I don't even know if it changes right now because now you're 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 desperate and you can't afford to lose another game. Um, and I heard Ducharme's comments saying that you know they're they, he feels good about their team because they're not giving up much. Well, yeah. Regardless if you're giving up much, you're down three one in this series. So it's your job as a coach right now to do something with the decisions you make on this roster to try to change um, the energy in this group. It's the Sick Podcast. I'm Marinero. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at the Sick Podcast. And, of course, the Sick Podcast is brought to you by Essentia, the world's only natural memory foam mattress. All right, okay. So it's it's mind-boggling, too, because 
a couple of years ago, there was a revamp, there was a reset, and uh, you figured that they were going to get the young kids in so they were going to be able to gain valuable experience. I mean, here they are, they're losing. And if you're going to lose, you should use lose with your young guys, right? To get them this experience like that. Next time they get there, they're going to know what it feels like. You always got to learn from your past experiences. And for this Montreal Canadiens team, I think last year's experience in the bubble was a learning experience for them, especially their young players, because the reason why Mark Bergevin went out in the offseason and did what they did is because they saw the growth in their young players. Now, regardless of what happens this series, yep. you want to focus on who's going to be around next year. You can't imagine John Merrill's going to be around next year. You can't imagine Brett Kulak's going to be around next year. You got to imagine uh, Romanov's going to be a big part of this future. And I just don't understand why they don't see the same importance of playing him in this round to gain that valuable experience. I mean, can can you think of a situation where yep. the Montreal Canadiens get eliminated in five games and Romanov didn't play one playoff game? How does that how does that help you know his his development or his progression into next year's season? It does. I'm gonna take it a step further. Think about this. The Montreal Canadiens played the Toronto Maple Leafs, who in game one lost their captain, their second line centerman, a guy who's a valuable piece on the power play for a team that's known as a team that's a top two line kind of team, an offensive team. And then Nick Felino goes down with an injury as well. The guy who was going to take Tavares' spot playing center on that line, Kerfoot gets bumped up. I mean, the Canadians so far through four games have limited Matthews to three points, Marner to three points, and they're losing three games to one. And in game two and four, they didn't touch the puck. Yeah. That's that's a tough one to swallow. I, I totally agree with you. But as I stated earlier, that's, that's what wins at this time here. You look at any team that has won the Stanley Cup. Yes, your top players carry you because they have to. But it's the play, it's the role and, and the production that you get from your bottom six players that ultimately define whether you win a series and how far you go. And right now, Montreal's getting nothing from their bottom six. Not All right. So in Montreal, a lot of people are starting to look at this team. And when Mark Bergevin, the beginning of the season, he said – I'm comfortable with my team. I really like my team because I believe I have a team that can play any way you want to play. Clearly, that hasn't materialized. Yeah. When you take a look at the way this team was built, the acquisitions, it, everyone looked at this team a year ago, Carlo. Beat the Penguins in the play-in. We're competitive against the Flyers. Yes, they were shut out two games in a row, but they were competitive won six games. They added to that. Jake Allen, uh, Joel Edmondson. Corey Perry, Eric Stahl, Josh Anderson, Tyler Toffoli. They brought in Romanov. They brought in Cole Caulfield. Everyone thought, well, this team should take two steps forward. They don't look like they have. They actually look worse. What does that tell you? Like, what do you what do you think of the construction of the Canadians? Well, Tony, I'll be the first one to admit that uh, I thought Montreal won the offseason early on in the season with the way they came out and establish himself as, as a top team in the league. Um, I really loved all the additions you just mentioned. But as the season carried on, I think they lost their identity. Um, and, and could that have been with the coaching change and not having enough practice time? Possibly. I mean, I heard over the last 43 days where they played 25 games in 43 days, probably the toughest schedule of all teams remaining, you can see they lacked energy. 
they only have four practices as a team during those 43 days. And with a new coach coming in, sometimes that can be difficult if you're trying to um, you know, get the guys to play a certain way and buy into um, you know, some a, a different philosophy. But what you're also trying to be, uh, build during that time is chemistry, which is what you're not seeing enough of you know, throughout their four lines. So have I seen enough? I, I like the additions the, the, the Montreal Canadiens did because they plugged certain weaknesses in their lineup. But what I think becomes a really successful team is when you have guys that understand what their role is on their team. And I just think you have too many guys right now in Montreal because they've been moved up and down the lineup that don't know what their role is on this team. And you see the confusion and that starts with the coach too. And you can't blame them for, and I'm not trying to make excuses for Montreal and I can't make excuses for the players that have had to go through this grind of a season. Cause I haven't, I have, it's never been done before, but clearly it's had an impact on their play, their philosophy and their production. All right. I, I, I'm, I like asking this question to people outside of Montreal because in Montreal, everyone's just so invested in it, right? But from the outside, and you're in Toronto, a lot of people in Montreal are asking, wondering about the future for Dominic Ducharme, who's got the interim tag, and Marc Bergevin, who next year will be in the final year of his contract. Bergevin's already been on the job for nine years. So if he sticks around for one more, that'll be 10. From the outside, from Toronto, based on what you've seen, Dominic Ducharme, who has a lot more losses than he has wins since taken over, but you talked about how difficult the schedule was, to be fair. Would you bring him back? Yes. I would bring what? back both Dominic Ducharme and Mark Bergevin because I think the goal this offseason was for Montreal to be a playoff team, which ended up being. And you need to give this transition a full season to let itself play out because what's there to lose? You've got Montreal, you got Mark Bergevin with one year left on his contract. You've given Dominic Ducharme half of a season to see if he can actually be a full-time NHL coach. You know, you talk about all the things that the players went through, playing in front of no fans, having to deal with the daily protocols, the injuries that they've gone through, not playing a full season with Carey Price, Carey Price not even playing right up until – there's a lot of things that factor in. And I think when you measure up the success after the season – you lost to a better team. And, you know, if, if the series goes Toronto's way, if they end up winning, you lost to a better team. And I think where the where, where the attention needs to be focused on this team is what do they do in the offseason with another year of the younger players gaining experience? I think the first 10, 20 games of next season are going to be the most crucial point in Mark Bergevin's tenure and even Dominic Ducharme. But if I, as an outsider looking in, I think you've got to give this okay. process the, the the real transition that it needs to play itself out. So they have good players. Montreal, Montreal has good players, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any denying that, but you know, it's it's been a tough year. He's Carlo Kaliakovo, former NHL player, former Toronto Maple Leaf, and now with TSN 1050 in Toronto. I want you to be Mark Bergevin for the next minute or so, though. I want you to be him. Thomas Tatar is an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. He makes $4.8 million on the cap. He's a 30-year-old winger. What do you do? I, I think you've got to find a way to replace him. Because um, clearly, during his time here, yes, he's been productive, but he hasn't gotten you to the next level. I mean, you're talking about healthy scratch at a guy in a playoff game. 
to me, that, that that's a that's a that's a signal of moving on from a player. And um, you know, what do you have in the system? I don't know what Laval, what 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 are they, what the players have, or what the Montreal Canadiens have in the system. But I know one player that they definitely need to find a lineup spot for next year, and that's Cole Caulfield. Okay. Right. So right. you know, you use that money that you're going to pay him to see what's out there on the free agent market. I mean, I think they 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 won the free agent market sweepstakes last year by getting a guy like Toffoli and you saw the production he was able to bring. But I think it's clear and evident that you cannot depend on Nick Suzuki and Kasperi Kakanyemi to be your one-two center iceman next year if you plan on being a playoff team. Because if they go back to the old division, yeah, let me, let me remind you who you're playing against. Tampa Bay, Boston, Florida, Toronto, Montreal, and Ottawa. Like you talk about the 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 growth that Ottawa's yeah. taking this year, I think it's safe to say if there was a week or two weeks left in the season, there might have been a potential that Ottawa catches Montreal for that last right. playoff spot. There was a report in Montreal early on in the season or before the season started that Phil Deneau refused a six-year, thirty million dollar contract offer. So if he wants five million dollars a year, based on what you've seen, you're Mark Bergevin now. What do you do with him? I still shake my head of that report, uh, and if it was true, how he walked away from that. Um, because you look at the landscape of the NHL, flat cap, um, you know how a player gets that advice from his agent, considering the situation that he's in, uh, the role that he's being asked to play. And I thought that was more than enough market value for for Tom or Philip Deneau. Um, you cannot pay him that. You can't based on the play that you that you saw from him this year. Yeah, I know you use him as your shutdown forward, but you know with a flat cap, you can't be overpaying guys that you think are going to be good. You need guys to that are that you're going to be paying that money to produce. And I really don't think that market is there for Philip Deno at that same contract. Mm-hmm. But Philip Deno is a really really good player, a really good role player that. You should find a way to keep around that works both for him and the team moving forward. And I say you know, this because I I don't look at Philip Deneau as a top two center iceman on, on any team. He's a perfect third line center iceman, and that, I agree I with you. I think that's the best he'll he he can be. And for the most part, for the most there are exceptions, by the way. For the most part, you don't pay third liners more than four million dollars, correct? I would even say three and a half million dollars. I mean, the Maple Leafs are paying Alex Kerfoot three and a half million dollars. Look at the production you're getting out of him right now. This is going to be a touchy one because he's still in the contract for the next five years. But in a couple of months, Shea Weber turns 36. The Montreal Canadiens power play is not what they want it to be. He is declining. He has lost a step. And he will make $7.857 million on the cap for the next five years. Yeah. You're Mark Bergevin. You move your captain at the end of the season. I, th- I think you have to explore all options. I mean, listen, I think we both know who Shea Weber is, what he represents, how he plays. Uh, but clearly, as you said, he's on the decline. And he's battled through a lot this year just to get back into the line- lineup. I don't know what it is, a foot, a hand. If he's fully recovered from his foot injury, you know, you hear rumors of that too. But uh, I-, I think it's safe to say if that I this can, line- If I can, Carlo, a lingering um, uh, foot injury – from a year ago, and these playoffs, he is playing with a brace on his left hand. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's safe to say the leader of this blue line is going to be Jeff Petrie because he's a guy that can carry the load both offensively and defensively. But 
you know, these are the tough decisions that you have to make and start having with your, your, your guys on your team that are aging, especially in a flat cap world. And um, I think it's in Mark Bergevin's best interest to explore that. And ultimately you've got to find a solution that works both for the player and for Mark Bergevin to either have him come back or find a way to move on. Brendan Gallagher turns 30 next year. Now I know 30 is not old, Mm-hmm. But the way Gallagher plays, a lot of people believe that the actual mileage age or real age is more like 33 instead of a guy who's going to be 30. How concerned would you be if you're a Canadiens fan that Brendan Gallagher next year will start a six-year deal at $6.5 million per season? Well, I don't think that contract will ever live up to the – the value of the contract. Like I, I, I don't think he'll produce like a six and a half million dollar player. And if you can accept that, then, you know, you, you'll, you'll be okay with it because you'll, you'll appreciate the other intangibles that he brings, you know, the, the way he plays with his heart on his sleeve, the way he, you know, he competes uh, every night, uh, the, the, the leadership that he brings both on and off the ice. If you can appreciate that and understand that's what you're going to get from him, then I don't have a problem with the contract. And it's sort of the same thing that I've tried to make Maple Leafs fans understand this year with John Tavares. Yeah. You know, John Tavares struggled at the beginning of the year and everyone's saying, Oh, I can't believe we paid this guy $11 million. Well, you know what? He's not going to, he's not going to produce like an $11 million player on this team ever again, because he's passed the, this organization has handed the reins to Austin Matthews. Correct. And if you can accept him for being a solid second line player that brings you the other intangibles, that's who he's going to be moving on, moving forward, as long as Austin Matthews continues to be that guy. And listen, yeah, okay, that price tag will never meet his production, but that was the price to get him here when they got him here. So, uh, and, and and look what it's Carlo, done. If he helps deliver a Stanley Cup, it's worth it. If he doesn't, you say they probably should have passed. That's it. 100%. But even if he doesn't bring a Stanley Cup, which I hope I get the chance to see, look at the other ways he's helped impact this group and this yeah. young team that has – developed into a contender. So I, I look at Brendan Gallagher that same way. I think he's a guy that every team would want on their team because of the, the way he plays and the intangibles that, that, that he brings. So as long – and listen, I, it's it's so gut-wrenching to see the injuries that this guy suffers every year because yeah. it's, it's not intentional. It's all fluke, and it's all because he's playing the game the hard way, going into the hard areas of the ice. Yeah. You just hope that – you know, he can find a way to persevere through that and and be healthy and stay healthy and be a guy that, that can lead you along the way. But again, he needs help. They need to find help for him. All right. Now back to Toronto for a second. He's Carlo Kaliakovo. I'm Tony Marinero. It's the Sick Podcast. You can place your bets on MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag slash the Sick Podcast and use code SICKPICKS for a 50% deposit bonus. Bet, win, get paid. All right. Are you guys right. in Toronto? And I don't know if it's you, by the way, and it's probably not. But are Torontonians and Maple Leafs fans finally going to live leave William Nylander alone or what? <laughs> they should. They should. And I'll, I'll be the first to admit that um, I've been one of the critics of William Nylander. Not because I don't like him as a player. I think he's a very, very talented player. I just want to see him compete like he is more consistently. And I think that's Sometimes, what that's- Carlo, Carlo, you played the game. You know this. There's some guys sometimes – you have to close your eyes at certain things if they can deliver. 100%. Points, right? I think I think Phil Kessel is the perfect example. Correct. Of 
right? You just some sometimes you just gotta leave guys alone and let them play. And you know, the frustrations with William Nylander over the last couple of years is you know, I think that that contract negotiation has has still left a bad taste in people's mouth because of the way it dragged out. Yeah. And and in this market, when things become public like that, and then you don't meet the expectations behind it in your first two seasons, you can understand why people feel the same way about the player. But I give William Nylander a ton of credit because this is a guy that has faced those critics face on and now has shown them that he's a guy, you know, that you can count on to, I know it's, I know it's only a short span, but that short span has helped lead this Maple Leafs team to a three, one series lead. And mostly because he's contributing, he's being productive, which is what you need to be at this time here, regardless of how you do it. And he's, and you can see that competitive edge in him, which is, you know, what everybody has been waiting for him to play like, because obviously if you can add that to his game of the, the skill level that's there with his game, you know, it, it, he's, he can be an unstoppable player, which is, you know, why at sometimes he frustrates people, but credit to him in a time the Maple Leafs have needed him the most. Yeah. Where two of his line mates, Nick Foligno and John Tavares have not played for most of the series. He has stepped up in a big way. It's incredible. You're in Toronto. I'm in Montreal. A couple of years ago, Mike Babcock coached the Toronto Maple Leafs three or four months ago. Claude Julien coached the Montreal Canadiens. And now it's Sheldon Keefe and it's Dominic Ducharme. Yeah. Does Mike Babcock ever coach again in the National Hockey League, in your opinion? I think he does. I just don't think it's anytime soon. And Claude Julien? I think Claude Julien for sure. Um, you know, I, I think the way he left and the respect that he has around the league – he hasn't really had to um, fix his image the same way Mike Babcock has because of all this, the things that have leaked about him. And, yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing the game change, right? We're seeing the game change in the sense that, you know, these older generation, these older, uh, you know, style coaches are, are passing the baton or, you know, are passing the torches to these younger, more, um, I would say, better communicators in the game because ultimately that's what I, that's what being a successful head coach in the NHL in today's game is all about it's not about x's and o's it's about how you relate and communicate to your players because ultimately it's your players that are going to save your job or they're going to get you fired because if you don't have that connection with them where you're on the same level of communication or same level of respect you just don't last very long. And I think that's where, you know, guys like Babcock and guys like Julian who grew up in that sort of older generation of hockey are finding, are finding yeah. themselves a harder path to get back in. And ultimately I think those two coaches are best. And I, you can even include John Tortorella into this. Cause I yeah. ultimately believe John Tortorella will find his way back into a game. I don't think those guys are coaches you hire in the off season and create a three-year, three, four-year plan. I think those are coaches that come in with a struggling, underachieving team midway through the season that can help change the message and get those teams over the top. Is it over in game five? Yes, I believe it is. What you want me this? to elaborate? Or? <laughs> no, you don't have to. I've heard enough. I, I just think, look, I mean, you look at the way – the Jack Campbell and the confidence he's playing with. Yeah. You look at much momentum Toronto has gained. You look at the inspiration they're playing with, you know, you see these videos of them coming off the ice and they're FaceTiming with their captain. 
that goes a long way wow to create team bonding with a group wow right and you, you know you're hearing these these players come out in their media interviews and saying that John Tavares sends a group text message right before a game to give some you know words of inspiration and motivation I just think there's a lot of good going on right now with this Maple Leafs team. Good vibes, which is what you need at this time of year, and good luck. That I, it's it's really really hard for me to think that Montreal can muster up anything to score at least three goals to win a game, and that's in this series. That's what you're going to need to win because if you don't, I mean, they, I I think it's safe to say they got lucky in game one. Yeah, because Carey Price made a couple of big saves and he did what he needed to do to steal a game. But since then, I mean, Montreal has not been a threat at all offensively. Carlo, you have to say, based on what we've seen, everything points to Toronto. So I'd have to agree with you on that one. Thanks for doing this, man. He's Carlo Kaliakov. I appreciate it. My pleasure, buddy. Anything for you, man. It was fun. It's the Sick Podcast. I'm Marinero, and you can follow us on YouTube and podcast platforms and Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at the Sick Podcast. Until next time. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow The Sick Podcast on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Essentia, the world's only natural memory foam mattress. Beyond organic sleep.